speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. High five, pound your neighbor, whatever. High five, pound your neighbor. <laughs> whatever you need to do. Praise God. Talking about returning to God and why that's important. We're back in school and uh, teachers are in, back in the grind. It didn't take them long to start gritting their teeth. And uh, kids are back in the grind. It didn't take them long to start gritting their teeth. And uh, some are seniors this year. Can we believe that Tyler Vocal is a senior this year? Glory to God. We never thought he'd ever make it, did we? Praise God. He did. We've got a number of juniors uh, that'll be seniors next year. And wow, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's just exciting to watch these young people grow and mature in their faith and uh, in, in their walk with God. Uh, M.R. DeHaan uh, is part of the team that puts out our daily Bible, our daily bread Bible devotional booklets that we get. Uh, he said of Jonah chapter 1 verses 4 through chapter 2 verse 10, the story of the fish swallowing uh, Jonah he says of that on Yom Kippur, the most solemn day of the Jewish calendar, a big fish story is read in synagogues. As worshipers fast, confess their sins, and reflect on the words of Moses and Isaiah, they listen once again to the account of a catch and release that is so amazing that no one would believe it if it wasn't in the Bible. Of all the readings that could have been chosen for the highest holy day of the year, someone started the tradition of reading Jonah. But why? Why did Jewish people read about the reluctant prophet who ran from God, was caught by a big fish, and then was miraculously released to complete a dangerous mission in what is now the nation of Iraq? <laughs> kind of interesting. Rabbis have different explanations, he goes on to say, for reading Jonah on the holiday commonly called the Day of Atonement. One teacher of Israel says the story of Jonah is more about repentance than it is about the fish. Some explain that Jonah is evidence that no one can escape the presence of God even while trying to run from the Almighty. Others believe Jonah is read on Yom Kippur with the hope that listeners from, uh, would learn from Jonah's mistakes. And one rabbi says, God cares for everyone. Jonah cares only for himself. God wins. <laughs> Interesting perspective on this story. But there's a great question that needs to be asked. What is God willing to do to bring us back to Himself? So often, we leave Him. What is He willing to do to bring us back? Maybe you left God because you carelessly drifted from Him or consciously disobeyed Him. Regardless, what will God do to bring you back? What's He willing to do? Those that desire to see God move in the church must grasp this truth that God is willing to do whatever it takes to bring us back to Him. He will do whatever it takes. And I want us to look this morning at uh, Jonah as we also look comparing Jonah's life and struggle and experience to our own. If the spiritual fire has gone out of you or you have chosen a life of outright rebellion against God, then you need to know three things. Number one, you need to know that God has many ways to get our attention. In this story, chapter 1, verse 4, through chapter 2 and verse 10, we're not going to read that story all where the time won't permit us to, but you please study it later. I'm going to give you some key phrases in that story that help us understand five actions that God does to awaken us 
in our, in our, from our spiritual indifference, our, our spiritual disobedience. In verse 4, we find the first one, the first action. He sends storms into our lives. God sends storms into our life. In verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled a violent wind. The Hebrew term translated hurled or flung is the same word used when King Saul casts the javelin at young David. Uh, John, do I need to use one of these? Okay, I'm going to use one of these. Just turn. I'll use this. That way we, we, we don't lose any of the recording for the, uh, to be online. Okay? The word carries the, the, the idea, this, this violent wind, this hurling. It, it carries the idea of a violent force. And we see that the wind and the waves served as God's servants waking up a sleeping prophet. God often uses the storms of adversity to teach us or to correct us. This storm illustrates the, str- the spiritual struggle, struggle that was in Jonah's heart. While the rebellious prophet knew what was right, a fierce battle raged in his soul. Any of you identify with that? Patrick Fairb- uh, Fairbarn wrote this in one of his commentaries. God's goal in affliction is to awaken us. When affliction comes, it normally is coming to wake us up. To wake you up. To get you to focus on the right things. And we see that God uses this method of correction often in Scripture. Jacob's deception was followed by the deception of his father-in-law. The Israelites refused to seize the promised land forced to wander then in the wilderness for 40 years. Samson lost his eyes and spent the rest of his days pushing a grindstone like a donkey. King David had to run from his own son. And while storms come into our lives for many reasons, we should always ask, God, what are you trying to tell me through this particular trial? Second action we see in our stories in verse 5. He touches someone near you. Although Jonah had sinned, If you look at verse 5, it says, The sailors were afraid. The sailors were afraid. The the late Dr. A.C. Dixon wrote this about this verse and this story. He said, Our sins will certainly get others in trouble. (laughs) Amen? See, when you sin, it not only affects you, but it always affects those around you. Are you with me on that? They always will. When a person, when a man or a woman has an affair, they say, well, it it only affected me. No, it affects everybody. All the families, all the relatives, it affects everybody. Well, it's just just between me and this person. Nope. Your sin has a ripple effect in other people's lives. When the storm came, uh, Jonah was about to drown. And he goes on to say in that verse, in verse five, no one drowns alone. <laughs> the storms that touched his life, touched the lives of those around him. King David's sin remained unrepentant in his heart for a number of years. And you might recall from that story about eight months after the fact, the prophet Nathan confronts him and Nathan tells him that the child born of the king's adultery would die. 
And the child went on to heaven, but God touched the child to get David's attention. You should consider the answer to this question, what is God willing to do to bring you back to Him? And the answer is, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. God knows which nerve to touch to get your attention. Calm may not come in your lives until it comes into your life. Sometimes He calms the storm. At other times, He lets the storms rage on and calms me. Third action I want you to see from this story is in verse 6. He sends someone to you. As the storm raged, it says in verse 6, the captain approached him. Now this captain was not a follower of the Lord. Yet, God used this unbelieving captain to correct Jonah. There is a saying that goes like this, God can hit some straight shots with a crooked stick. You ever heard that? The person God uses is not the issue. God can speak to us through a loved one, a stranger, a Christian, a lost person, a child, an adult, a minister, or a member of the church. We see that pattern throughout Scripture where God uses different things to talk to different people in different ways. He used young Samuel to speak to Eli the witch of Endor to speak to Saul, a little girl to speak to Peter at the fire, and Paul to speak to Philemon. What does matter is your and my response when God speaks to our heart. We should view that person as God's messenger. I'm, I never like to look at myself in the mirror. I never like to look past the reflection that I see in the mirror. Now, do you understand what I'm saying about that? I don't like to look at some of the dark shadows and dark areas in my life. I would rather you just love me like I am and and just leave me alone. Don't make me change. Don't make me do things differently. Don't make me clean up my speech. Don't make me clean up the things I watch and the things I read. Don't make me do that. And the way you make me do that is by confronting me about that in my life. Well, preacher, we don't know you that well. Then you should get to know me that well. Amen? And we should have the courage to come to each other and say to each other, hey, I see, I see a blind spot. But usually if we do that, what happens? Well, who are you to judge me? Well, who are you to judge me? I'll give you a prime example. A block away from my house, after I was putting my roof on, I had the, the, the garbage thing in the driveway, right, for them to throw the shingles in. A guy a block away, down the end of my street, was doing some remodeling. Well, rather than spend $25 and take all that trash to the dump, what did he do? He drove down and dumped it in my dumpster. So when I went and knocked on his door and I said, hey, brother, introduced him, held my hand out, shook his hand, said, uh, I believe your contractor uh, used my dumpster and uh, I'd like a little bit of compensation for that. He got irate, absolutely irate. And said, he said, well, you have to take it up with him. I said, oh, okay. He said, he talked to those guys on your roof who are all Spanish and can't speak English. They couldn't even ask me for water. They kind of had to point at the water hose to tell me what they wanted. And this guy stopped, talked to them, paid them money to put trash in my bin. Interesting. So when the guy was irate about the fact that I was asking him for some money to help cover the cost of my bin, I said, no, sir, I'm not asking for your money. You said you brought up money. I didn't. 
I said, by the way, I just got information, and I came for information, got all I wanted. But you know what? That 25 bucks, he can choke on it. Amen? I'm better off for paying him, hauling his stuff off for him. God bless him. God bless him. But isn't it amazing how people are? It's amazing how people are. But you see, we need to understand that even in that, I needed to learn a lesson. I needed to learn a great lesson. And that is to always have a cheerful, giving spirit. What I should have said to the man is that, hey, thanks for letting me be an opportunity in your life. That's what I should have said to him. So God taught me a lesson as well. It's kind of like the lesson that a young preacher uh, learned. He was, his younger brother was getting married. And they were from t- Kentucky and had another brother and his wife with them on the way to the wedding. And on the trip back, uh, the other brother and wife got into a conversation about the spiritual nature of that wedding. And the wife asked, why was everyone so nice? And he responded, because they are Christians. And then she said to him, but you are, but you are a Christian and you don't act that way. Well, surprisingly, she was God's messenger to that, to that young man. And her words led to his rededication and eventually to her salvation. So isn't that wonderful? So listen, folks. When people begin to talk to you honestly about who you are and what you are or what you're not, listen. Listen. They may be giving you some, some advice. Number four, the fourth action that you see in our story here is in verses 7 and 8. God exposes our disobedience. Out of superstition, the crew cast lots to discover the guilty party and it says in our text there the lots singled out jonah it's an interesting contrast that while the unbelieving sailors discerned that the storm represented god's hand jonah missed it and we've seen this pattern also in the scripture elsewhere god used a pagan pharaoh to expose abraham's lie about his wife god used an angry brother to expose jacob's deception of his father god used mordecai to expose haman's plot to have all the jews exterminated god used peter to expose simon magnus's false motives god used paul to expose peter's hypocrisy and the lord exposed the flaming hypocrisy of the pharisees and god can expose any sin that you and I hide. Thomas Martin's former manager of a jack-in-the-box restaurant in Oroville, California, and during 1966, he reported a robbery in which the crook took $307 as the store was closing. When questioned about the suspect, Martin provided police sketch artist Jack Lee with a detailed description of the assailant. After Lee completed his sketch, he observed how the drawing looked just like Martin. And when the investigators noted the similarity, Thomas Martin confessed to the crime itself. Confession occurs when we clearly identify ourselves as a sinner. Be honest with God. First, if you get this relationship working right, then these relationships work right. Fifth action that God takes to draw us back to Him. In verse 15, He touches you physically. So once they learned it was Jonah, verse 15 says, they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. What does that mean theologically? It simply means that God's hand of protection can become His hand of correction. 
Do you remember the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness and when they turned to Moses and complained about God, the Lord sent snakes into the camp in Numbers 21 and many died. It's interesting that up till that time, a million people wandered through that snake-infested land without record of one being bitten. God removed His hand of protection as an act of correction. God is no respecter of persons. He struck Miriam, Moses' sister, with leprosy. In Acts 5, Luke describes the incredible events surrounding the death of Ananias and Sapphira who had tried to deceive the church and lie to the Holy Spirit. I wonder what would happen in church if people who lied to God simply killed over dead. Contemplate that for a moment. Paul states later that those believers that disregarded the sanctity of the Lord's Supper were suffering physically and some had even died. Why would God do those kinds of things? Because God loves us too much to allow us to continue on a path of immorality and loss. I am not suggesting that every illness or accident is a direct intervention of God for disobedience. The Bible reveals several possible reasons, but we must acknowledge that disobedience could be one of the reasons. Jonah said, you pick me up. He could have jumped, but in this action... He was showing the future death of Christ at the cross. You pick me up. And he laid down his life for his fellow sailors. The second thing I want you to learn from this story is that God desires to awaken our spirit. God desires to awaken our spirit. Why would God use seemingly drastic intervention to get our attention? Is God mad at us? Does He desire to punish us? Well, I would say no. His correction is not is another expression of His love and His grace and His goodness. He wants you back and He hates the damage that sin brings in your life. But He does these things for several purposes. Number one, God desires for us to acknowledge His presence. In verse 10, Jonah, it says, Jonah ran from the presence of God. He ran from God, but God wanted him back. When my mother was ready to correct me, I used to run. But she would always say, ah, he'll come back for dinner. Because I was number five in the boy line. And by the time she got to number five, she pretty, had all, she pretty much had all the tricks figured out. She knew that I would eventually show up for dinner. And I would be brain dead as to what I had done before. God's like her. Never forgets. (laughs) Never forgets. But He desires for us to acknowledge His presence. Secondly, God desires for us to acknowledge our sin. Also in verse 9 and verse 10, it says Jonah offered a public confession when it says, For he had told them. A commentator added, Unconfessed sin is a weight which no wing can lift. It is a darkness that no light can banish. It is a disease that no medicine can cure. If sin is the problem, honest confession is the only remedy. Only remedy. 
Thirdly, back up to verse 2, God desires for us to submit to his will. God told Jennifer, uh, to, to Jonah to do what? Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Obedience to the Lord's command will bring an end to his correction. If you're being corrected, simply respond. Simply be obedient. God wants us back. The third thing I want you to learn from this story is that God requires genuine repentance. How should we respond to God's loving promptings? Max Lucado put it this way. If there are a thousand steps between you and God, God will take 999 of them and leave the last one for you. God wants you back, but you, you and I, must take the step toward Him. He'll cover all of them but the last one. The last one is your choice. The last one is up to you. Do we need to come back to God? Do we need to be called to repentance? Do we need to find a way so that God can respond? Well, He's standing ready. He's brought enough... Uh, situations in your life to get your attention but are you listening are you listening harley sheffield gained celebrity status through an unusual event in his life actually a mishap he was part of the 15,000 mile relay that carried the olympic torch to the 100th gathering of the olympic games in atlanta georgia his section of the relay went over the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Washington on May 7, 1996, and while carrying the flame in a special stand on his bicycle, the rear tire blew out. Harley Sheffield lost control of his bike, and the Olympic flame went out. People gasped in disbelief, but the attenders of the torch they knew exactly what to do. They simply reached into the van that accompanied the traveling torch, pulled out a new torch, and lighted it from the mother flame, which always stays in the van. The procession continued, and Harley Sheffield earned a spot on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. What happened on that Washington Bridge happens all the time in our Christian journey. We stumble and the flame of spiritual zeal is doused. We stare at the extinguished torch and wonder if we can ever again burn with spiritual passion. When we turn in repentance and we find that the Holy Spirit has been with us all that time. He carries the mother flame that can never go out. Our zeal can be reignited. And the standard of Christ can once again burn brightly in our lives. Oh, Father, this morning, we're going to sing an invitation song. And Lord, I ask you to move among your people today. God, would you be real in each heart today that's in this room that's been hearing this message. Father, would they be gut-level honest with you today. It's not about how we feel about each other. It's, a, it's first of all how we feel about you and how you feel about us. <clears throat> God, some of us need to return. Some of us have grown complacent. We've grown satisfied. 
we believe that we've served our time and we can sit back and just ride on the laurels of other people. Well, Father, you're still in the battle business. You're still in the spiritual warfare business. And God, we're a part of your army. No matter what our age, doesn't matter what our ability, when we signed on to the kingdom of God and we claimed Jesus as our Savior, we went to the water and grave of baptism, we buried the old life, we rose to walk in new. God, can anybody tell anything different about us? If not, it's time to return. It's time to come back. It's time for the great fish experience in each of our life so that we know that you're real, we know that you're genuine. And So, Father, we ask you today to move in each heart, move in each life. And, Father, we love you.